No, 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 she's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. G'day, I'm Dr. Friday, and I'm here live in the studio. So if you want to join the show, if you've got a question, now's the time to get on the line, 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. And I've got Will that's on the road, and why don't we go ahead and get him on the line. Hey, Will, what's happening? Hey, I enjoy your show. Question. Thank you. Giving cash to uh, dependents, how would the IRS know how much cash you're giving your dependents unless they audit you? Well, I think you answered your own question. In all reality, unless you or your dependent or somebody that paid, and sometimes it's, it can be wonky. I've had a gentleman that he had done something where he'd given a large chunk to his son. His son then turned around and purchased something, and that person that he purchased from got audited, and it backtracked to the child, and then the child had said, well, my dad gave it to me um, kind of thing nothing was illegal about it. It wasn't going to change anything for his father's taxes or his son's taxes, really, because um, in theory, right now, you can gift almost, what, a million dollars or something to your family. You just have to file a gift tax return, which was the only thing that wasn't filed. So in all honesty, it's not a huge area that the IRS is usually looking for in the normal everyday working family. We, we would never be able to give that kind of money away. Uh, but theoretically, 15000 per child per a parent or whatever. So if the child's married, you could give 15 to him and 15 to his wife, or theoretically, if you have a wife, then they could each give 15. Um, but the only way that the IRS really knows is by auditing or backtracking through the someone else's finances to get to that number. Okay, I understand. appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Drive safe. All righty, we are here live in the studio. And that was a great question because, you know, right now, a lot of times parents are often thinking about, you know, I mean, it's uh, estate planning. What should I do to help? Maybe um, a child is trying to buy a house. Um, there are ways of helping and there are legal ways of just doing a gift tax return. It doesn't cost really anything all the way down the line unless you're giving millions away. But uh, normal family, you want to give your daughter a $50,000 deposit for her home. Um, and you can do that. And you'll have to probably write a gift letter anyways, because for finance purposes, at least, and then, um, and then you would have to do a gift tax return. That is really all there is to it. There would be no taxes due. The only time taxes, if there are any taxes, it's to the person that is giving the money, not the person receiving. Um, and the only reason the person that gives the money would have to pay taxes, it would normally be because you took it out of a 401k or some form of a tax account that you hadn't paid taxes on yet. That's the only time that would normally trigger a taxable situation. So if you're thinking about doing something like that, not a hard thing to do, but you never know. All right. I do want to start the show with something that a lot of you guys are going to start receiving. They said they're going to be putting them in the mail in January. You're going to receive two letters if you have received one 
it's a, a letter from the IRS. It's a 6419. So don't just immediately throw it away because it says Internal Revenue Service on it. Uh, 6419, that's going to tell us the person that's preparing your taxes. That might be me for many of you guys listening. Advanced Child Tax Credit Payments. It's going to tell us how much you received on that. And then the second is the letter 6475. That was for the third stimulus, which was $1,400 per person. I need to have both of those letters. And this year, we're not going to be trying to wing it a little bit. If you don't have those letters, you're going to need to go online, register with the IRS, and download those letters. Because otherwise, we're going to assume that you received and that the, you got the advanced tax credit for all the proper months. And if you don't have a child this year, and uh, but you did last year, and the IRS has been giving you advanced tax credits, just remember that is going to be taxable income to you. That is not money that you're going to be able to write off because you didn't have a child to do in the first place. And I have many cases where um, they do every other year. I talk about this all the time. A divorce does make creative uh, tax issues. And this is one of those where, um, you know, every even year you get them, every odd year he gets them or whatever the situation might be. And so since the IRS um, based this on 2020, which was the year possibly you took the child or maybe it isn't, but yet you're gonna be able to claim the children in 2021. If the children are not listed on your tax return, you're not going to be able to deduct that advanced tax credit. Therefore, it will be income to you. The IRS did not do that like a stimulus situation where, oh, well, they gave me money that I wasn't entitled to. Theoretically, you probably should have returned it. But in all honesty, there was no place and no rules really put out there. Advanced tax credit for children is a pretty straightforward uh, situation and that one will become taxable. So again, make sure that you retain these letters because um, entering incorrect advanced tax credits or impact will delay tax returns. We have people today that haven't received, I'm sure I'll get some calls even, haven't received their refunds yet. And or they, the IRS changed their tax return and they said they never received the stimulus money, but the IRS is saying that you did. So it's very important that you get a copy of, again, letter 40, uh, 6419 is for the advanced child and 6475 is for the stimulus. You need to get those letters. And if you don't, in January, receive those letters, you need to be able to go online, pull your transcripts because they will show how much money has been paid to you and where the IRS is showing that money coming in. So you're saying you didn't get it. They're saying you did. And uh, let's be honest, it's never easy to argue that point with the IRS. So we need to make sure we've got that covered. So if you have questions, you can certainly join the show, 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986, taking your phone calls, talking about my favorite subject. For some of you that may have never heard me on the radio before, my name is Dr. Friday Burke. I'm an enrolled agent licensed by the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation, which basically is all I do. I basically deal with people that maybe you haven't filed taxes in a number of years. Maybe you um, have, but you have some tax collection issues. Um, and you want to talk about offer and compromise, payment plans. We have a couple options out there, non-collectible, but you got to deal with the IRS. It's not just going to take care of itself. And sometimes I even get it where the children are getting involved because of plain and simple dad or mom maybe didn't file taxes for a number of years the irs has assessed them because of something that's happened and now 
they're getting love letters and you know they're going to have to pay and as much as i love the idea of being able to get all those waived and say you won't have to pay it the fact is not always the case i mean i've got a case right now where a daughter has found out about her dad and we've gotten the payments now we're dealing with the penalties and you know you would think well hey this particular person you know wasn't necessarily all capable of dealing with this so you know but the irs doesn't always see it that way and it's going to take a while for maybe they'll they'll weigh some of the penalties we're hoping they will but you need to get on top of it don't just assume it's going to go away if you know that your parents have some sort of tax issue you're going to want to get on top of that and help them out because you don't want to be dealing with it when maybe you don't have especially if your parent is incapacitated, unable to really communicate, Alzheimer's, those kind of things. It can make it very difficult for you to help them. So again, if you've got family, friends, maybe you know someone that needs a little help, that's what we do. I'm an enrolled agent licensed by the IRS to do this. So you know, if you need someone or someplace to start and keep in mind, I'm local. So I'm not one of those big guys that you're going to call. You hear their phone numbers all the time. I had a case the other day where the guy got the phone number off of the radio and he called him and this guy was out of California and he doesn't return the phone calls, but yet he collected the first $2,500. And the sad part of that conversation is this gentleman probably shouldn't have even had to pay that much, but he owed the government 25,000. And this guy wanted, you know, I think it was 7,000 to do the representation. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you need to know what kind of representation you're going to get. What are they going to complete for you? How are they going to represent you? Because it's not just that simple where you can turn around and say, oh yeah, you know what, I've got this and we're just going to make this all go away. And, you know, before they even look at your transcripts, before they even get anything else, they always want to collect money up front. And to me, if you don't know what the resolution is going to be, you should not be paying somebody. They can't just start without knowing what they're going to do. Are they going to file taxes? Are they going to, you know, do an offer and compromise? Do you even qualify for an offer and compromise? These are the kind of questions you need to be asking. All right. Uh, why don't we hit Alan real quick? Not physically. Hello. Alan. Hey, Alan, it's Friday. Hi, Friday. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Appreciate your show. I had emailed you earlier in the week with the question regarding the gifting of property land to a, a child. Mm -hmm. So I want to get a little bit more information. It's uh, three acres. So I think my understanding is the federal gift tax maximum is 15000 for this year. So if the property is worth more than that, is gift, gifting still the best option or some type well, of sale I mean, out of reduced you want to get it or... into the child's name you only have two options gifting being you could gift it at your basis um so whatever you paid or inherited that property you can gift them you do a gift tax return and the child will inherit the land or basically be able to take the land at that point and then they'll deal with any capital gains or development or whatever else that might come of it um, that's probably the most fast and efficient way. Otherwise, obviously inheritance is a great way, but we have to pass away to achieve that one. Um, or they could buy it at current price. Um, but I'm assuming since you're wanting yeah, to give the, the land. Yeah. For the first option, it's, a it's several acres and I'm only giving them three. So what I paid for it was a set amount for the total acreage. Right. So I don't you know if at that point I can yeah but if part of the acres are more suitable and part of it is in a flood zone and part of it's you know at a creek or whatever do i have the 
luxury to say, okay, the three acres I'm giving them are worth this much, and maybe the other part of the property is worth a, a, a different amount, meaning that I can't just take, you know, we'll say um, 20 acres divided by $200,000 and, and say they're their three is worth the same amount. I definitely want to be fair, but you know, we all know we have to use a basis of some sort. So you would, Alan, have to say, Hey, I I based this on three acres or an acre that's sold like mine in the same area for this dollar amount using comps. Um, That would be the, the, the best thing to do. My opinion. All righty. And your email response said, even if there are gift taxes, they you would, would pay owe those. Oh, okay, I would pay that. Yeah, yeah if there's any gift tax, that, which again, I just based on the, unless it's commercial property that's selling for a couple million, um, I don't think you'll have any <laughs> gift tax situation. You just need to do a 706, you know, gift tax return if it goes okay. over 15. Sure. All righty. Well, I very much appreciate information. That'll take care of it. Have a good Thanks, day. sir. Yeah, you too. All right, let's hit uh, Charles. Yes, Charles real quick. Hey, Charles. Hey, how you doing today? I am doing awesome. What can I do for you on this wonderful, gloomy Saturday? All right, man, you got that right. I uh, just got a question for you. Um, earlier this year, I started dabbling into uh, cryptocurrency a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess long story short, it's probably worth half of what totally total I invested or put into it. What can mm-hmm. I expect this coming tax season? Well, what it's worth isn't really the question because that's just like my portfolio may go up or down no matter what. The question is, every time you buy and sell, you create a taxable situation. So if you went out there and you just brought Bitcoin at the wrong time, using this as an example, and you put in 10000 and now it's only worth 5000 but you haven't sold it yet, then there's been no taxable situation. But if you went in, you purchased it, and then you sold it, and then you went and brought Likebase or Litecoin or Coinbase, you know, I mean, you went and changed all different. Every time you sold that coin to another coin or another type of cryptocurrency, then you created taxable wins or losses, and you need to document those. Does that help? So I've bought, like, various different coins, probably, I'd probably say eight of them total. Now, I've never sold any of them. No, okay, then I nothing, sold any nothing of them, has but... happened unless by December 31st you want to sell them, then you can claim the loss on your tax return. But otherwise, it's just like all of our other portfolio. It's, it's just sitting there waiting for us to either decide to sell and take a loss or hold and hope that the price goes up and we can sell it for a profit. Right. Okay. I understand. So nothing nothing's right, really you. happened yet. Right, that's what I was trying to debate on, whether just to go ahead and sell it and cut my losses and take a tax break on it or just hold on to it. I didn't know financially what yeah, the best Yeah, that's probably a little outside of my expertise. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that is a constant believer if I hold, it's eventually going to come back. I can honestly tell you that's probably not the best theory for everybody in the world. Um, but um, I think all of us, you know, depending on different currencies, I, I do own some as well. But um, right now I've just invested into different ones and I'm just holding, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's really no 
Um, no one does, I don't think. So at this point, I'm suggesting yeah. holding, but then don't hold. You know, if you want to just get out of crypto or, or get out of whatever you have it in and go buy something that's uh, doing better, we all know it's down right this second. So maybe it's a good time to buy, but I don't think it's a great time to sell personally, but I'm not a financial planner. Yeah, because it seems like everything that I've bought has gone down in value. And I'm just, it's just a learning experience for me right now. Exactly. But, <laughs> and and uh, nothing just, else, but. You know, timing is everything and everything's kind of gone, you know, down right this second. So, again, if it's Except you know, the housing market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would be the last person to tell you I know how to read this market, period. So, right. um, I, you know, that's why I just pretty much sit, hold and hope that the majority of whatever I invest into will turn around and, you know, recoup. But otherwise, you take the loss if you've got gains. Otherwise, you can only take a $3,000 loss. Right. But you can offset other gains with your loss. So something to think about. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. One more question. Sure. The uh, child tax credit, the yep. uh, basically more or less the, the checks the government has been giving. Mm -hmm. Can we expect any, I guess, uh, surprises concerning that as far as income goes or? Well, I mean, there is an income max. I think it's 150 for a married couple and 75 for a single. Um, other than that, you don't qualify for the advance. Uh, but at this point, I mean, you still qualify for uh, some of the child tax credit, but you won't qualify for the 3000 or the 30, whatever um, increase. But, um, but if you're getting it now, unless you've had a really good year compared to 2020, which could happen, um, then yes, there could be some payback. That's the reason I don't like my clients getting it because a lot of my clients are self-employed and we don't always have control of our income. Um, right, so, right, you know, right. but... Other than that, uh, again, not knowing your income or your situation, my suggestion would be is if you're not sure, if you're close to it, I just told a lot of my clients since they couldn't stop the IRS from sending them, just put it in a savings account. So if we needed the money, it was sitting there, not something that I was going to have to tell them, hey, and you also owe another $3,600 because you got half of your child tax credit in advance and you didn't qualify. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for your help. Hey, no worries. Thanks. All right. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll be right back with the Dr. Friday show. here live in studio and we are taking your calls if you have something to say 615-737-9986 615-737-9986 taking your calls talking about my favorite subject which is taxes trying to make sure that we actually have our taxes in order maybe preparing a little bit about being not necessarily totally audit proof, but you know, there's a lot of things people can do that would actually pretend or protect them from doing or getting themselves into situations where maybe they should be a little bit more documentation. You know, I mean, it's really important that we have documentation and that you're able to do what you need to do with it versus well, just winging it a little bit, you know, like a lot of times people will come in and they'll say, Hey, I did this, or I did that. And you're sitting there trying to figure out what exactly was being thought because you knew that you were going to have to report, you know, a situation or, or not. 
So the part of that is you just want to make sure that you have what you need and you know what you need. So that's one of the things you want to have when you have someone that's working with you for doing your bookkeeping or your taxes. Part of that is, is also having someone to talk to and say, Hey, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? What do I need in documentation? I had a, a gentleman come in, one of my clients actually, that had gotten his own PPP money. And if there's anyone out there that may have done this same thing, um, I think we're going to have to try to figure out if we need to hire an attorney. But this gentleman had a situation where he went to an individual to help him get his PPP money. But this individual, A, I'm not too sure how he did, but basically provided fraudulent documentation, then got the money from the government. And then my client actually turned around and gave this person 40% of the money that this gentleman had collected. Um, that's fraud guys. Just so anyone listening is thinking that in any way that was a right thing to do, um, to be quite honest, I didn't think anybody would actually be charging much. And if it was, it would have been a reasonable fee for what somebody might've had to do in paperwork to get PPP or PPP forgiveness. Um, I can understand there was documentation required time issued. So I'm not saying you couldn't or shouldn't have been billed or charged for that, but not 40% or 50% of what you got that person. That was excessive. So it'd be interesting to see because it wouldn't have been allowed for the PPP forgiveness. You can't pay that fee out and be used. So anyways, if anyone else is running into that situation, not necessarily, well, if you have something you can share on the radio, great, but it'd be great if someone um, actually had some headway and you can call my office on Monday, that would be helpful because I've not ran into this until now, and I'm sure there's more people out there needing that information. Okay, let's hit Terry in Tennessee first, and then we'll go to Tyler. Hey, Terry. Yes. I was wondering about, we have some land that's going to be sold. It was in a trust fund, and it couldn't be sold until the last person in the tax price of the land in order to pay taxes on it. Okay, so I think my phone kicked out just a little bit, Terry, but you're saying that there was some land in a trust and that yes. um, you guys had to wait to sell it until the last person in the trust passed away? Is that what I heard? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Okay. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, and, and so it has that, I mean, so at this point you guys have, the trust is now gone to the beneficiaries and you guys are selling. Okay. Um, and you determine the price of that land because I know we've done this before with inheritance where you paid for the price of the land when that person died, what they paid for it. You, got to, you had to pay just that amount, not what was over that amount. Say they sold it for 10000 and you got 15000 You only had to pay back that 5000 Okay. Right. But this sounds no. like it was a possibility. And I don't know for sure, Terry, I don't know for sure, but I'm just saying, was this a grantor trust where the um, money went in and therefore you had the step up in basis? Because if you're unable to have access to it, I'm assuming you're a beneficiary or your wife or family member you're calling yeah. for, whatever is a beneficiary yeah. of the trust. Yes. Okay. And um, as far as the value of your basis, would have been at the time the last person passed, I mean, when you guys became able to sell the land. That, that would be the price. 
that would be the price. That would be the okay. basis price. And then if you sell it for more, then you would have capital gain. So for less, you'd have capital yeah. loss. Well, you have to pay on that capital gain. Right. You would have to pay, and depending again on how much, it can go up. The maximum capital gains tax is 33.8. Uh, 23.8. Yes. Goodness gracious, 23.8. Yes. There's no, no way other than to buy more property with that money in order to not pay taxes. Right. And that's a great okay. suggestion, Terry. The 1031 exchange would be available to you. Yes. Yeah. But you still have to pay it once you sell it anyway, won't you? Sooner or later, it would like, be sold. But, my, uh, you know, it would be pushed down the line and who knows. Right now, a lot of yeah. people are not doing. I've had uh, several investors not use the 1031 because they feel that the capital gains rate is lower today than it will be 10 years from now. I'm not yeah. sure if that's true or not, but it does I'm seem that sure. way. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Terry, very much for calling. All right, let's go Thank to you. Hendersonville and hit Tyler. Hi, thanks for your show, Dr. Friday. It's great. Thanks for calling. I was wondering if there's any way to put rental income into a tax sheltered account. Um, well, I guess it would be two questions in that one. One, and I'm I'm thinking from the right now, again, depending on your income bracket. It's one of the lower passive, you know, it's one of the lower tax brackets at the moment. Um, so is this money being used for trust fund of some sort, you know, developing or what is your thought? I mean, take it a step further. What is your thought with doing that? I mean, besides not having to, to pay take, tax on the capital gains, I mean, on the, uh, of the income. I had to take some of my IRA out and use okay. it for a down payment on a house and I didn't get cash to replace it until it was too late past the 60 day window. Mm -hmm. So I was looking okay. to get that amount back into a sheltered account, but you can't put it in an IRA. Correct. And, and do you actually, Tyler, do you work or are you retired or somewhere retired. between there? Yeah. I don't have any active or regular okay. income. All right. So, um, no, there, to my knowledge, there is not a place where you can move and reinvest the original capital that you took out of the IRA put back in, which is why a lot of my clients, which is late to tell you, Tyler, so it doesn't really help in this conversation, but um, there is what's called a self-directed IRA. I'm sure you know of it, and you could have used the money that direction to invest in, and then that way you wouldn't have never taken it out. But that's here, there, it's, it's already done, so that doesn't help in your scenario. Sorry. Right. Oh, but there's no way to put money into a self-directed IRA? No way to put it back in without earnings. Without earnings. Without actual earnings, not uh, passive income. Okay. Well, thank you. Appreciate no your time. I appreciate you, Tyler. Thanks. It's a great question, actually. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and hit our second break. And when we come back, we'll take more of your calls and talk a little bit about some of the tax advantages that might be out there. If you want to join the show, 615-737-9986. Rocking it, according to that music, it's awesome. And Lavidius is busy trying to get the phone line. So this is awesome, awesome. All right. So if you want to join the show, it's easy enough to do 615-737-9986. 615-737-9986. And Lavidius, do you want to go ahead and hit uh number one there? 
before you keep talking. There you go. Look at you. Hello, uh, Emma. Say the name. Is it Lati? L. Whoever's breathing in the mic, they had a question. Have the IRS on liens and needs to phone in and look at something. Does that sound like anyone from Tennessee? That sounds like, sounds like Lee. Lee. Oh, my goodness. is just testing me today. Lee, this is Friday. What can I do for you? Uh, yes. Uh, I've got some uh, liens, IRS liens. Uh-huh. And I was told that they had ten years to collect. I think, but I'm in current, currently, I'm I'm in currently uncollectible. Now, does mm-hmm. the, is the ten years still running or not? Well, there are periods during the uncollectible period that they will turn on and off the collection time. So, not knowing how you got put in, where you got put into non-collectible. I mean, after a while, it will turn on the clock. But I, there are times when it's turned off for them to evaluate if you do it any if you did any kind of uh, offer compromise during any of that time i you know not knowing your situation there is what's called a c-said date and um, my suggestion is anyone that's trying to find out how long the irs has to collect would be to call them or get your transcripts and find out what your c-said date is that would tell you exactly when the irs is calculating that you would no longer be in collections Okay, well, no offer and compromise has been done. Okay, so, but you've been in non-collectible for a while, it sounds like, maybe. So I would just contact the IRS, or if you have a website, off, you can, you can sign on to irs.gov and pull your transcripts, and they would have your okay. CSED date. You're saying CSED? Yeah, uh, C-S-E-D, collection status, I should know the abbreviation, but... It's basically the collection status date. Okay. All right. All righty. Uh-huh. Thank you so All very right, much. Lee. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. All right. Let's see. Devin. Devin, my boy, what's happening? Um, hey, how's it going? It's going good here. Good, good. Um, so, yeah, I've got a, I mean, it's kind of an interesting and very non-romantic way to, to look at uh tax implications on marriage um so me and my fiance we bought a house together this year you know bought a car had a baby um have been engaged the entire year with you know the plans to actually get married um and we just with the kid the house and everything else haven't you know gone through with it (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's the end of the year, and I don't know, you know, is it better for us to just hurry up and get that done so we can file married joint? <laughs> or, you know, how would we write off mortgage interest and the child tax credit if we both filed single? <laughs> well, one of you would file head of household. And by tax law, it's directly the person making the highest income. But depending on who's, I mean, since you both live together, I don't know, does your um, significant other work or is she taking care of the baby and, and you know? Yeah, I mean, we, we both work. I mean, okay. it'll be, we'd have to get our, uh, you know, our total. In, we're, we make just about the same exact amount okay. of money. So one of you would <laughs> claim how to household, that way the child credit would be claimed. 
and it's there's no marriage penalty on that particular one so being single or married is fair and then um you would also as far as the mortgage interest depending on when you have it keep in mind that as a single person you only have to exceed the twelve thousand eight hundred or thereabouts for the standard deduction i actually head of households like eighteen thousand and then the single person would have like twelve thousand so um you may actually be in better shape not being married than being married okay because yeah, I know. I was listening. I heard that you were like, sometimes marriage isn't great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not against marriage just for all those listening, but the marriage tax penalty exists. And yeah, theoretically, okay. you may find out that, you know, being um, engaged the rest of your life and married, filing separate or uh, head of household for <laughs> one and, and single on the other is a better tax advantage. Not going to say that that's going to last in your life because normally sooner or later people really like to be married if they're living together um so you know but to be honest with you Devin, i don't think it's going to probably hurt you not being married okay so then we'll just we'll wait it out and mm -hmm. and take it you know actually yeah, have a, it with a good ceremony nature takes it but <laughs> exactly but i wouldn't worry about having that because it's likely you're going to do better off being two individuals than being a married couple okay and then so if let's say she was head of household, she would take the ta the child's tax credit, and then would I potentially take the mortgage write off, or would she take it all? Sure. Okay. Cool. I guess I'll just fill out the forms and do the calculations and see <laughs> which yep. which way works out better. That's going to be the best way to you know, and and again, it's probably going to come down to whose name's first on the mortgage statement. Is it yours or hers? You know what I mean? Because the mortgage oh, interest yeah. is going to be turned in under that person. So um, okay. that's the kind of things you're going to be looking for. Okay. All right. Hey, that, that'll work. Well, thank you very much for your help. Hey, no worries. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. All, All right, right, boss. Bye. I'm going to go to Ron. Yes, Ron and Gallatin. Thank you, Lovidius. Hello, Ron. Hi, Dr. Friday. Um, I'm looking at taking my minimum distribution and applying it to a charity, but I'm not sure how that affects my tax. Is that something well, that would be so, taken off as a charitable, charitable deduction on the tax form or how does that work? Yeah, it's so awesome. Actually, this is one of the good tax things. Um, so for individuals listening, because Ron already knows this, if you have to take a required minimum distribution, there's what's called a qualified charitable deduction. And what happens is you're going to call the custodian of your account and you're going to say, hey, I want to give this to my church, whatever. And they're going to make the check out to the church. And then you're going to either put it in the tithing thing or they'll mail it, whichever way you guys work that out. And then at the end of the year, when you are filling out your 1099R that you get from your usual um, retirement account, you know, if it's from an IRA or 403, whoever's handling it, and then there's a box that will show how much is charitable. And theoretically, it's a dollar for dollar. It doesn't show up as charity on your tax. It actually reduces the 1099R taxable amount, dollar for dollar. So if you have 10,000 okay, so RMD and let's say you gave 5,000 to the charity, you will only be showing under the taxable amount, the 5,000. All right. Cool? So I wouldn't be able to claim that as a charitable contribution in addition to reducing income, would I? No, no, you wouldn't be able to do both. But this is better than a charitable contribution because charity, you only actually get a percentage of your taxable income. This is a total dollar for dollar reduction. 
So right, charity, sure, well, if you give $10,000 and you're in the 20% tax bracket, you really only save $2,000 in tax dollars by giving 10 to a charity, assuming you can itemize. This, you're gonna save $5,000, reducing your income by $5,000. In this scenario, not your real life. Does that make sense, Ron? Yes, it does, thank you. No worries, thanks, mate, I really appreciate it. All right, let's go to James in Pulaski. Hey, James. Hello, I got a question. I'm a, year's I'm a Vietnam veteran, I draw compensation. Uh, probably put back a couple hundred thousand bucks in just cash and then maybe a, an IRA. I think it's a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm not planning on spending any of it. Probably never will. And if I turn this over to my adult children, is that taxable to, mature, to the children because compensation is not taxable? So the money, the cold cash, obviously that's not taxable because you've already paid tax because you've been able to save it. The money that's right. in a regular standard, traditional, whatever proper term you want to use IRA, that will be taxable income to your children. If it's in a the, Roth IRA, it will not. Okay, because part of it's Roth, part of it's something else. But if the cash was given straight to the children, it would be adult children, nearly 40, uh, but it would not be taxable to them either, right? That is correct. Right. I mean, cash is, we've already paid tax. You've accumulated the cash unless it's sitting in a bank with a little interest. And I say very little because they're not paying us interest. Uh, but yeah, yes, like James, a, you've got the yeah, right like idea. 100, 000, like a hundred thousand bucks, it's $4 and 21 cents a month in my checking account. I know it's very disappointing. It does not encourage any of us to want to save money in the bank. <laughs> oh, but the only thing that would pay on the IRA would be what the, the money had actually made. Well, theoretically, you deferred it in a, state, in a traditional IRA. You never paid tax at all. So it's taxable 100% ordinary income rate. So even you've got 200 grand, you'll have to pay tax on 200 grand. Yeah, even though it was part of that was uh, compensation, VA compensation money. It would, was not taxable to me, but it would be once it went into well, the Well, I mean, if you put it, I mean, theoretically, you could not put money into an IRA that was coming from a non-taxable pension because it wasn't earned okay. income. So if you've got after-tax contributions, you may want to make sure that's tracked. So that way, you know, with you and your financial guy, because when your children inherit, they would not have to pay tax only on the growth of that particular money. But if they don't have documentation, it's going to come out as total, uh, you know, contribution in and taxable income out. Okay. Well, that sounds good to me. All right, boss. Thanks. I do. Pre I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, no problem. Appreciate you. Thanks. All right, we'll take a quick break here, Lavidius, and then when we come back, we'll hit Charles, Vic, and Joe when we get right back with the Dr. Friday Show. All righty, we are back here live in studio for the final part. Lavidius needs to take a deep breath. That boy's been running hard. All right, so we're going to hit uh, Vic. All right, let's hit Vic. Hey, Vic, what can I do for you? Yeah, Dr. Friday, I got a quick question here. Um, I purchased a home seven years ago, and I'm looking to sell it this year. Uh, am I going to be uh, liable for capital gains? Was this your primary home, Vic? Yes. Okay. And so you've lived in it two out of the last five years, as well as are you going to sell? Are you married or single? Uh, single. Okay. So 
um, you can sell, you'll have tax exclusion for 250,000 above what you paid for it. And I have to say that nowadays, because some people are selling their homes for a lot more, you know what I mean? It used to be, that was a good thing. So if you brought it for two and you sell it for 450, there'll be zero tax. Okay. Yeah. I heard just a couple of weeks ago, tell a caller about, uh, if, if I'm able to sell it for more than 250, are there, what, what are the tax brackets there that I'd be? Then, um, then you're going to be looking at including your ordinary income, the first uh, up to 250 above that, including your ordinary, would be at the 15%. Um, I'm sorry, up to the first 200 would be 15%. And then you jump into 18.8 until you get to like 450. So that would be okay. above including your ordinary. Okay. Okay. So, so real quick. So the 15% would be 200,000 above the 250 plus my income, correct? Yeah. So you yes, exactly. Above the 250 plus your income. And then anything above that up to another two, you know, 200,000 total there would be 15%. Then you jump into the 18.8 up until you get to about 450. Again, that would be anything above the 250 plus your salary or other income. Okay. I think that answered the question. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for all your help. Okay. No problem. Thanks, mate. Okie dokie. Let's see. It looks like we've got Charles. Charles in Lebanon. Hey, hey Dr. Friday. I re- I'm not an IRS junkie, but I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I have a question about, I'm, I live in the area here. Uh, been married for 30 years, filing jointly, but I'm about ready to pull the trigger within a couple of days of purchasing a home and second home in Florida. Uh-huh. My question is, you talked about this guy a couple of segments ago um, about filing separately. I'm mm-hmm. wondering, since we've we filed jointly for 30 years, right. um, and, and if we purchase a second home in Florida, is there any tax, how should we manage that? Is there a, should we file separately and put one house in my wife's name and the other one in mine? Um, well, I'm not too sure. How, I mean, you still have the same exclusion. So you have 250 each of you, right? So if you're, I have a case right. where one of my client's wife does live full-time in Florida and he goes back and forth, but he basically spends more than six months a year here because his business is here. So in his case, he works here and then he spends weekends and vacations down there, but she basically stays there all the time now. So in that case, they have two primary homes, first and second, that would be her primary because she's now it's been over two years that she's been pretty much living full time and he still has the here. So there'd be 250 exclusion, no matter how you look at it, you have 250 each of you. So you can put one on her and the other, depending after you get through the two years um, or, you know, you have 500 if you have, if you both filed jointly. Should we keep sense? our tax? Yeah, it kind of does. Should we keep our taxes jointly or? You can keep your taxes jointly. That doesn't change the fact of primary home because on the tax form, it asks specifically when you're looking for the exclusion, did you live in that home for two out of five years? Did your spouse live in the home for two and five years? And that's where you would say yes and or no to those questions. So you can stay filing jointly um, and still have a primary, each of you living two different places, as long as you can justify and prove that, I mean, it's a little hard nowadays. It's easier because people work remote Theoretically, someone can live in Florida and still be full-time employee here in Tennessee, <laughs> you know? And that's what I'm um, expecting. I'm expecting that um, she's going to stay down there some. I'll stay up here, yeah, and okay. we will 
use both houses. Okay. Yeah, that would be, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, Charles. I would say stay jointly. And then just when it comes time and when you sell one of them, you can determine that exclusion. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Cool. All right. Let's hit Joe really quick. Joe, talk fast. Hi. Uh, so I converted too much of a, uh, an IRA to a Roth. And so it's going to screw with my Social Security. Mm-hmm. And I heard you talking about the guy giving some money to a church with some appreciated property. And I'm just right. trying to figure out whether, and I also have like maybe $50,000 of a, the remainder loss, you know, where they can, mm-hmm. I can only take out $3,000 a year. Right. And well, I, that won't help you if we're taking too much out of the, on a Roth conversion, you still only have the 3000 The charitable deduction would help you. Um, I would say you probably need to talk to a financial or give me a call on Monday. We can crunch some numbers to see how much it would save you, but that would be your only alternative would be the charitable deduction. The 3000 wouldn't make a big enough difference in my opinion. Yeah, it wouldn't, no. but it would help. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything helps, right? I mean, every dollar helps truly yeah. and not be, you know, but if, if you, you converted too much, your answer is going to be possibly giving some appreciated property that you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have to pay tax on. So right. how much how, how much do you think that's going to affect my Social Security by, by increasing my income by about $50,000, $60,000? Well, you can only pay tax of 85% of your Social Security, but I would say all 85%, I mean, whatever, if you take $10,000, $8,500 of it would be taxable. And so, so how long will I have to do without Social Security? Because that's, I mean, I don't, I mean, I didn't get in, I didn't put any money in my pocket. I mean, you know, I'm, I right. live on what I've have coming in every month. Joe, I'm going to have it. Yeah, Joe, if you want, uh, you can give me a call Monday. I'm, the show's ending, so I'm going to unfortunately have to get off the Appreciate thing. Appreciate time. But give me a call, boss, and I will be more than glad to crunch a few numbers with you, all right? Thanks a lot. Thanks, boss. All Bye. right, we are. this is the Dr. Friday Show. We're winding down the show here, so we're going to have to um, make sure you guys have contact information. My uh, phone number is 615-367-0819. You can check me out on the web at drfriday.com, and you can always email. I do my best to get back with you, friday at drfriday.com. Hope you guys are enjoying this Saturday. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. And, um, again, my phone number is 615-367-0819. 0819 and email Friday at drfriday.com. Call you later.